Hello, I'm Noelle Lim on ASEAN Speaks by Maybank. We look at the likely outcomes and implications as Thailand holds its general elections on the 14th of May. We also consider the likelihood of a Singapore recession as manufacturing drops more than expected in February. And as banks in the US and Europe continue to dominate headlines, what has been the impact on ASEAN markets and undervalued stocks? Maybank's chief economist, Suhaimi Ilyas, moderates the call. Hi, morning, everyone. Um, let's start as usual with um, last week uh, wrap up. Uh, MSCI All Country World Index rose 1.5% last week. Uh, S&P 500 notched its uh, second straight week of gains amid assurances from authorities, especially in US and Europe, about financial stability, as well as growing speculation that major central banks will stop raising interest rates to prevent a recession. But Deutsche Bank shares slumped by around 8.5% last Friday in a sudden moves that some attributed to hedge funds seeking to profit from the banking turmoil, as well as as the cost of insuring Deutsche Bank's debt against default rose. Meanwhile, uh, US two-year and 10-year Treasury yields ended last week down to 3.77% and 3.38% respectively, versus 3.84% and 3.43% at the end of the prior week. Uh, meanwhile, uh, US economic data released last week suggested the US economy was still resilient heading into the banking turmoil. Uh, weekly jobless claims remain near five-decade lows. Core capital good orders, which exclude orders for aircraft and defense and often used as an indicator of business investment, surprised on the upside when, she, when it increased uh, in February by 0.2% against consensus estimate of a 0.2% drop. Um, UI, that measures services and manufacturing activities, rose from 50.1 in February to 53.3 in March. Readings above 50 and over indicate expansion, and this point to the fastest pace in economic activities in US since last May. In fact, the flash composite PMIs for other major economies, Eurozone, Japan, UK, also improved in March and recorded expansions with above 50 prints. Uh, US Fed raised Fed fund rates by 25 basis points for the second consecutive FOMC meeting to 4.75% to 5% range. Fed's dot plot indicate US benchmark interest rate will peak and pause this year at 5% to 5.25%, suggesting another 25 basis point hike at May FOMC. At the post-FOMC press conference, Fed Chair Powell added that Fed officials don't see rate cuts this year, but market is pricing pause at next FOMC meeting in May and expecting the start of US interest rate cuts in second half of this year with Fed fund rate ending this year at around 4%. Uh, Bank of England in, uh, increased interest rate uh, for the 11th consecutive time but trimmed the pace of its rate hike to 25 basis points after slowing the speed of rate hikes to 50 basis points in December last year and February this year uh, versus the 75 basis point hike in November last year. Uh, this is amid the fact that there is no let up in inflation in UK which remained high and picked up to 10.4% in February against 10.1% in January. Swiss National Bank raised interest rate for the fourth consecutive time by 50 basis points, despite the credit Swiss turmoil. So I think these major central bank's decisions 
to continue raising interest rate, despite the concerns about the banking system, point to separation of policies between addressing inflation to achieve price stability via interest rates and tackling concerns about banking and financial stability to prevent contagion via measures such as full deposit guarantees for Silicon Valley Bank and Signature Bank in the US, as well as the um, activation of major central banks lender of last resort facilities and swap lines for provision of US dollar liquidity. Uh, meanwhile, Philippine Central Bank eased the pace of its interest rate hike to 25 basis points after a string of 50 to 75 basis point hikes in second half of last year. Um, next week, we will have Vietnam's first quarter 2023 GDP on Tuesday, Bank of Thailand's monetary policy meeting on Wednesday, and uh, all eyes will be on US Fed's preferred inflation gauge, the private consumption expenditure price index for February, as well as Eurozone's preliminary numbers for March CPI. Both will be out on Friday. Um, today, we have Hakbin and Brian to talk about Singapore and China macro and monetary policy. Jui and Jesada will speak on the upcoming Thai general election, Philippines macro and market strategies, as well as Anand on regional equity markets and cheating on regional plantations. Let's start with Hakbin. On Singapore macro, decline in industrial production deepened, while inflation, especially core inflation, remained elevated in February. A couple of questions here. First is, is Singapore heading into recession, especially with the banking turmoil in US and Europe, as well as the apparent lack of impact from China's opening so far? And secondly, what will be mass policy reaction uh, next month? Hey, hi, good morning. So yes, industrial production um, fell quite sharply again in February, and that's largely due to pharma. So averaging for January and February, manufacturing fell about 6%. Uh, that's still quite steep. And by the looks of it, China's reopening has not had a meaningful impact on the Singapore's manufacturing and export so far. Uh, but we are looking for the reopening to have a more pronounced and visible impact on growth from the second quarter onwards. I think uh, that was kind of reflected in the China's PMI figures, you know, which recovered in February and actually, um, you know, that also brought along some ASEAN and also Singapore's PMI figures in, uh, up as well. I mean, we'll be looking out for the PMI figure for China that's out this week. And hopefully you know, that will continue to recover with the opening. But that said, the U.S. banking turmoil has increased the probability of a U.S. recession in particular. And I think that will weaken U.S. consumer demand. Uh, our model is showing that the probability of a U.S. recession is now more than even odds. It's 57%. And I think uh, in, in my view, it's going to be very likely in the second or third quarter. Um, so Singapore will really depend on a boost from China's reopening uh, to decouple from a U.S. recession. March, uh, we are in early April. We are still expecting it to be a positive Q and Q, so positive zero point five percent and roughly about one point one percent growth yeah, on a year on year basis. That's down from the two point one percent in the fourth quarter. Uh, so I think Singapore is still expected to, in our view, skirt a technical recession. Uh, that's again, yeah, due to this uh, two sided economy, manufacturing is in contraction, but services growth is. Still holding up, slowing, but holding up. Uh, and construction growth is uh, probably going to strengthen a bit, given that foreign workers are returning. So for now, we are maintaining our growth forecast of 1.7% in yeah, this year. Uh, for the MES meeting, we don't think the MES actually have much of a choice. Core inflation is elevated and sticky, 5.5% at last print. 
Um, so we are expecting MES to tighten again at the April meeting, probably via another recentering. Right, thanks, um, Abin. Moving to Brian, since um, Abin mentioned about the apparent lack of impact from China's opening so far on Singapore economy, uh, I guess the question to you is, actually, how is China's economy doing in this first few months of the year since the exit from its uh, zero COVID-19 policy and economic opening? Morning, Suhaimi. Yeah, uh, so official data released uh, over the past month point to an uneven pickup in domestic demand in China over January to February. Uh, retail sales rose by moderate 3.5% year-on-year compared, uh, I mean, uh, suggesting that consumption is just beginning to recover with demand concentrated in food services owing to pent-up spending. Um, but retail sales momentum remains modest with uh, seasonally adjusted month-on-month -month growth faltering in February uh, after an uptick in January, likely because uh, consumers remain cautious amid lingering weakness in the labour market and property sector. Fixed asset investment rose by a faster 5.5%, but mainly on policy support, as suggested by a 10% surge in state-led investment. Uh, if we look at private investment growth, it remains benign at just 0.8%. Um, industrial production growth picked up to 2.4% uh, over January to February, but this was again led by fixed asset-related heavy industries like machinery and transport equipment, while uh, export-dependent industries like textile, plastic, and electronics declined. Um, external demand in China uh, from, I mean, external demand remains weak as uh, high inflation crimps global consumer demand with exports plunging 7% year-to-date. Uh, broad-based weakness seen across most products. And we look at imports. Imports actually plunged 10% uh, over the first two months of the year. Um, overall, um, I think we are maintaining our China growth forecast for the year at a relatively conservative 5%, which is in line with the government's target. Um, Brian, on policy, China's cut bank's uh, reserve requirement ratio, or triple R, recently also left the benchmark uh, loan prime rates or LPR unchanged for the second consecutive month last week. Do you see anything further happening on the monetary policy front? Yeah, sure. Um, so uh, if we look at PBOC's statement, which announced the RRR cut, um, the central bank guided that it will refrain from launching a uh, deluge of uh, strong stimulus policies and properly balance internal and external equilibria, if I quote exactly. Uh, as such, we expect the PBOC to actually reserve further policy support until the second half of the year, giving more time to monitor uh, the economic recovery and act if more policy easing is required. Our base case is for a second 25 basis points triple R cut and um, small 10 basis points cuts to the one and five year LPRs uh, in the second half. Thanks, Brian. Let's move on to Thailand uh, with Juye first. Um, Juye, Thai parliament was dissolved, uh, I think, early last week. General election will be held on 14th of May. Typical question to ask here. Um, one is, what is the likely outcome of the election? Uh, we will see the end of military-led government and restoration of a civilian-led government. And secondly, uh, I guess another typical question is how will this election affect equity market and the economy, maybe based on uh, historical precedents? 
Sure. Uh, morning, Soimi. Morning, everyone. Uh, well, the likely outcome of the election is still uh, a big uncertainty, but uh, in my view, it will be quite a challenging task for the opposition parties led by Pertai to come to power. Uh, but first, let me uh, lay out some points on why there is hope for a change in government. Firstly, uh, Pertai is uh, firmly leading in the polls. Uh, the 36-year-old uh, Prime Minister candidate Petong Tan Sinawatra, who is Thaksin's youngest daughter, uh, has been consistently uh, topping the poll for choice of next PM uh, with a 38% approval rate. Uh, Pita Limjaronrat, who leads Move Forward, that's another opposition party which is popular among the younger voters. Uh, he's ranking second at 15.8%, while current uh, Prime Minister Prayut uh, is only at third place at 157 uh, he will be running under the new United Thai Nation Party, uh, and that party has less than half of the support for uh, Petong Tan since September 2022. If Prayut is indeed re-elected, he can only serve as PM until 2025, as ruled by the Constitutional Court last year. Uh, second reason uh, that uh, the opposition uh, has an advantage is because the latest electoral rules has raised the number of uh, single-member constituency seats to 400 and reduce party list seats to 100. And this would favour large political, uh, which adopted a mixed member apportionment system. Uh, and that had allowed the, the current ruling PPRP to form a government, despite winning fewer MP seats than per time. Um, but having said all this, in order to win, uh, opposition parties would still need to win by a landslide. Uh, they have to get 75% of the 500 seats in the lower house. Uh, and this is because the 250 members Senate will be appointed, uh, which was appointed by the military regime uh, that came to power after the 2014 coup. Uh, and this Senate will be involved in choosing the PM. Uh, and even if Patai wins by a landslide, uh, note that the past episodes have seen the removal of three governments formed by the Sinawatra clan uh, via military coups or by court rulings. So even though Prayut is lagging behind in polls, he is quite a strong contender to return as PM as he continues to be favoured by the king. And there's always the possibility that he may form a coalition with his previous party, uh, PPRP. Um, on the second question, I think past election cycles have generally been positive for the Thai stock market, uh, boosted by expectations of economic stimulus measures to support the economy. Uh, when we look at the past five elections held since 2001, the SET index has risen by an average of 3.4% three months before the election and uh, continued to rise by an average of 5.3% one month after the election. In terms of GDP growth, uh, we are maintaining our forecast at 4% for this year. We think there will be uh, minimal disruption to the tourism-led recovery. Uh, of course, unless there's a significant social unrest, as we saw back in the 2013-14 political crisis. Our base case for this election is for a political transition which may delay budget approvals and government spending, but will have minimal impact on the return of foreign tourists. Uh, we could potentially see some delays in implementation of uh, some uh, policies like the financial transaction tax on share sales, which was supposed to come into effect middle of this year. Uh, some of the Eastern Economic Corridor projects, um, even that the proposal to adjust contracts uh, has yet to be approved by the current government. 
and also uh, the negotiations with Cambodia to jointly explore petroleum, petroleum resources, given that Thailand's domestic gas supply has been falling in recent years. Uh, back, to the, back to you, Sarni. Um, by the way, Bank of Thailand will have its policy meeting uh, this week. Uh, we have seen divergences among ASEAN central banks' interest rate decision so far. Uh, what is your thought on Bank of Thailand's decision on Wednesday? Yeah, uh, so I'm expecting the BOT to uh, to continue hiking uh, by by 25 bips this week. Um, while inflation has has decelerated, it's still um, above the BOT's target range. The, the latest data print was 3.8% for February. And um, I think uh, BOT has kind of uh, emphasized that it would continue uh, tightening. And, and also um, note that BOT has been uh, it's still considered a laggard in the region uh, in terms of monetary policy. So far, it's only hiked by 100 uh, bips cumulatively since August last year. So it uh, does still have some space to, to tighten to contain inflation. No, thanks, uh, Julie. Still on Thailand. Um, Jesada, uh, what is your take on Thailand banking sector in the wake of uh, the US and European uh, banking crisis? Good morning. Uh, we see the low impact on the Thai banks' earnings and capital from the bank debt concern in the US and EU crisis. As uh, Thai banks have the strong capital and also the liquidity positions, uh, the sector tier one ratio was about uh, 16%, with uh, the car ratio of about 19.4% in 2022 compared to the Bank of Thailand requirement of about 9.5% and 12%. So we maintain a positive view on the Thai banks, given the domestic uh, economic recovery, also the positive exposure to the international uptrend and the attractive valuation now with the high dividend yield. Uh, Jasada, can you just remind listeners again what's your uh, kind of... A call for individual stocks in your coverage in the banking sector. Yeah. So now our topic is uh, Bangkok Bank for the big banks and KKP for the small banks. Uh, for the Bangkok Bank, uh, we believe that it will benefit on the interest rate uptrend and also the uh, exposure to the attractive valuation and high dividend yield. For KKP, we like KKP for the uh, diversified revenue and also uh, for the attractive valuation and uh, strong load and earning growth. All right, thanks, uh, Jesada. Uh, let's move on to Philippines, uh, starting off with uh, macro. Zamros, uh, BSP, still on interest rate hike mode, but slowed it down to 25 basis point increase last week, despite inflation remaining stubbornly high. What is the reason for the easing in the pace of last week's rate hike? And what is BSP signaling in terms of its uh, policy path going forward? Uh, hi, morning. Morning, Swami. Uh, morning, uh, everyone. Yeah, uh, BSP started to raise the uh, policy rate hike last year uh, with a modest 25 basis point rate hike in May and June. But thereafter, followed with the uh, with the uh, total cumulative of 350 basis point rate hike last year, and followed with another 75 uh, uh, this year, and the uh, the total of 400 
and 25 basis point rate hike overall. Uh, BSP is looking, uh, monitoring closely uh, the impact of, of uh, this uh, aggressive rate hike on, uh, especially on inflation and on GDP. And judging from uh, BSP's own uh, estimates, they are looking at for every 25 basis point rate hike, uh, will shave off uh, real GDP growth by two percentage point. Uh, secondly, uh, inflation, uh, which breached the upper end of uh, BSP's target range in April last year, uh, is already uh, believed to have already peaked in January at 8.7% year-on-year as uh, headline inflation uh, slowed modestly to 8.6% in February, but nevertheless, core inflation is still uh, pointing north at 7.8% uh, in February versus 7.4% uh, in January. And the third thing, uh, with the uh, global commodity prices, especially uh, crude oil price moderating, uh, BSP uh, uh, tweaked downwards its uh, uh, inflation forecast for this year to 6% from 6.1% and for next year uh, to 2.9% from 3.1%. And as far as the... Uh, signaling in terms of policy path going forward. Unfortunately, there's no clear guidance given by BSP in contrary to the uh, previous uh, meetings, but rather they're saying that it's going to be very much data dependent uh, going forward. And we believe that it's going to be very much on the uh, impact on inflation and real GDP. And from BSP's own Naukas, they are looking at the uh, first quarter growth for this year is going to be a still sizzling at 7% uh, year on year. Uh, so overall, uh, we maintain our uh, expectation of PSP to raise by another 25 basis point to 6.5% uh, uh, within the first half of this year and keep it there until the end of 2023. And the next meeting, the next BSP meeting is on the 18th of May, uh, which is a week after the release of the first quarter numbers for the Philippines. So I mean. A couple of weeks after FOMC meeting. Um, anyway, uh, moving on to Jackie, um, on Philippines equity market, the index is around 7% down now versus its January 18th peak. Given what happened in recent weeks, your strategy note recommended it's time to bottom fish uh, in the Philippines market. Why should investors look at your side of the pond and what's there to fish? Hi, good morning. Um, so the PSEI is basically back to where we started the year at. And now that partial for Q2022 results, um, which were as growth recovery, we are even more positive on the market than before. So as of last Friday, uh, 22 out of the 30 index stocks have reported earnings and 16 were actually in line or ahead of forecasts. Um, so far, Earnings results uh, imply a 33% year-on-year growth uh, for 2022, which is much better than our 20% earnings growth forecast. Although, uh, note that this doesn't include yet JG Summit, uh, which we're expecting to book losses this year. So on the back of the four Q results, um, we've already raised uh, 2023 earnings forecast for 10 out of uh, uh, 10, 10 stocks that we cover by 5%, reinforcing our positive view um, this year. So even with a higher 2022, Three, uh, 2022 earnings space, uh, we were still looking at double-digit earnings growth forecast for this year at 13%, uh, which reinforces our bottoms-up based uh, year-end 2023 market target of 7,800. 
So uh, with the market trading at 13 times PE, a lot of the stocks are unsurprisingly undervalued. But even if we screen further for uh, 2023 and 2024 earnings growth, our golden lists um, is what you have on figure six. So it includes the favorite conglomerate SM and GT Capital, our top pick in the property sector, Ayala Land, and its parent, Ayala Corp, and a handful of consumer names, which include Monde, uh, Robinson's Retail, DNL, and Pizza. Thanks, um, Jackie. Uh, let's go regional, uh, starting with Anand. Uh, Anand, how has ASEAN market performed uh, in the wake of uh, the banking sector turmoil-induced global market volatility in recent weeks? I mean, it's looking like a tricky environment for equity investing. Uh, we all, with all that have been happening lately, how would you advise investors to navigate and position themselves in such an environment? And also want to know your thought and take on ASEAN banks. Yeah. Hey, good morning, Swami. Good morning, everyone. So I think uh, it is a tricky situation uh, for investors right now as we you know, sort of try to suss out the fallout from what's happening in the Western global uh, or the Western uh, you know, banking systems. I think the good news is thus far, uh, you know, ASEAN indices, despite being quite heavily weighted towards banks uh, in terms of ind indices makeup or composition, they've been you know, relatively resilient uh, compared to what we've seen uh, in the US and the EU, which are at the center of the uh, you know, banking sector concerns. And I think uh, that's because of a recognition by investors that you know, the fundamentals for ASEAN banks are extremely uh, different compared to what we're seeing uh, in, in the West. You know, liquidity, duration risks here are much lower, much better contained. Uh, and also in terms of uh, asset composition, uh, you know, it's uh, much more loan-centric compared to uh, fixed income-centric, which was what brought down uh, Signature uh, uh, and uh, Silicon Valley Bank uh, in the US. So overall, you know, the action here, yes, we have seen some softness in bank uh, share prices, but I would say that's more knee-jerk sort of softness rather than any concerns about the uh, uh, underlying fundamentals uh, of the sector. Anand, any uh, sort of uh, specific recommendations uh, for investors? Yeah, I think, you know, the banking sector sort of softness right now does provide opportunities for investors to accumulate some of the uh, higher quality shares. I think uh, we've taken some opportunity uh, in this space in, in Thailand of late. We've up, upgraded Krung Thai Bank uh, to buy. Uh, following uh, some recent uh, unwarranted uh, price weakness. Uh, elsewhere, you know, even in Malaysia, uh, we've reiterated our buys in uh, some of the high yielders. And if you believe markets are going to be sluggish for a while, then high yield stocks, including in the banking sector, would be something you would go after. Uh, and two banks in Malaysia would stand out, uh, RHB with a yield of uh, over 7%, uh, and Alliance Bank with a yield of over 6%. Uh, elsewhere, uh, as ASEAN markets have drifted down over the last couple of weeks, uh, you know, uh, there is a lot of value as, you know, underscored by uh, Jackie's view on the Philippines as well. Uh, so we have been uh, more biased towards upgrades. So recently we've upgraded Genting Singapore uh, to buy, uh, given the faster than expected recovery in tourism, especially Chinese tourists. Uh, and we've also uh, upgraded Abbott's power uh, in the Philippines uh, to buy as well on attractive valuations. Right, thanks. Um, and then Chitting, um, you just released a note on regional plantations. Um, I guess in the interest of time, can you share with us your thoughts on the question-based title of the note, i.e. whether the banking crisis in the West is a potential black swan for uh, CPO? Morning, Sohaimi. Yeah, so we, we draw lessons from the uh, past GFC. Uh, we suggest that a full-blown 
banking crisis may lead to a shortage of the US dollar globally. And this will impede uh, global trade and uh, drive down commodity prices, including CPO. So back in 2008, during the GFC, uh, the third month CPO futures fell as much as 68% from March to October in that year. Uh, well, fast forward to today, I mean, despite US uh, uh, company countries trying to move away from US dollar uh, trade in some instances, the US dollar remains the dominant global trade currency and also reserves. Uh, in the Bank for, for International Settlements quarterly review in December 2022, it was highlighted that nearly 50% of global trade is invoiced in the US dollar. So a shortage of dollar will be detrimental to imports and exports as evidenced by the 2007-2008 GFC period. And during that period, the non-US banks abruptly find themselves short of dollar when US financials were unwilling to un, unwilling to lend US dollar to their foreign counterparts. And according to the Global Financial Stability Report issued in uh, October of 2019 by the IMF, the non-US banks US dollar assets continue to rise post GFC to around 12.4 trillion US dollar by the mid of uh, 2018. So this makes the global banks more vulnerable to a US dollar disruption. So although we think that the present banking system uh, may, the present banking crisis may differ from the GFC period, uh, in the event there's a shortage of the dollar, uh, these will have the intended trade disruption uh, inventory built up and, uh, and this may pressure global commodity prices. Now, we like to highlight that uh, CPO, though accounts for one-third of global oil and fats production in 2022, its share of global exports of the oil and fats is much higher at 54%. So this makes uh, CPO more vulnerable, more susceptible to US dollar shortage compared to other edible oils. And even prior to this banking crisis, due to the pandemic, several importing countries were already short of dollar. Sri Lanka, Pakistan, Bangladesh, and some African nations, uh, to name a few. So if the central bank in the West failed to arrest the banking crisis, uh, we believe the rest of the world will suffer the impact. But for now, our base case scenario is that the central banks in the world will take the necessary action to prevent another GFC and the banking crisis will be contained. So we stay neutral on the sector. Sorry, Chiting, just, just to confirm again, um, your CPO price target remains 3,400 ringgit per ton. Uh, average That's right. Yeah, right. so we still maintain our 3,400 ringgit per ton CPO price for now. Uh, and this is premised on the fact that uh, we still expect seasonal output recovery to happen in second half. Uh, with all the uh, necessary labor coming from Malaysia uh, to boost productivity in second half. So we have higher output uh, and so is the rest of the world in terms of planting of uh, all seeds and, uh, and, and, and other vegetable oil crops. And that will help to you know, boost supply in second half and that will pressure CPO price uh, on the downside. If you look at the CPO price chart in terms of forward curves on the Busan Malaysia derivatives, it is a rate, it's again in backwardation, meaning uh, CPO price in the spot month is much higher right now compared to the futures month. 
indicating market is pricing in some kind of a seasonal output or recovery by mid-year. Thanks, Chiting. Uh, and that's it for today. Uh, have a good week. For specific advice, speak to your financial advisor or trading rep and find our research reports on Maybank's trading platforms. Happy investing. I'm Noel Lim on ASEAN Speaks by Maybank.